2: You know, every week we remind you that it's in Christ alone, that he is the solid rock and that everything else is sinking sand. And does that message really become redundant? Does it ever become non-effectual? The bottom line is that if you haven't learned this past week or even in this hour or this day that it's in Christ alone, then you will, you will. Because here's an absolute. For a child of God, there is no other place to stand. For a child of God, there is no other place to live. That everything else that we would try to create for ourselves in the way of security and hope out there is failing and will fail. We have a security that's greater than what man can provide. We have a security in our Savior who is not about rescuing us. But about having relationship with us. Now, when we talk about these things, and we reiterate these things over and over again, I want you to turn your eyes towards the truth, and ask yourself: Is there any greater word for me? Is there any greater word for me? That it is in Christ alone that I have life. That it is in Christ alone that I have any sense of being. Is there any greater word for me? I don't believe there is. We're going to start in First Thessalonians today. First Thessalonians is, is a great book, and it's about a really great church. A really great church. In fact, we have a lot to learn from the church at Thessalonica. And as we begin to go through this letter, for a start, one of the things I want to do is I want to give you a little history about the city, and then about how Paul ended up ministering there. Because it's going to give you some insight as to why this church is as great as it is, or was. And this church is founded by God. No man put this together. This church is kept by the power of God. And this church, as one writer put it, is an extension of the life of Christ, Wow, that's what we want to be, isn't it? An extension of the life of Christ. They were a body yielded, a body full of men and women with one determined purpose, to know Him, to yield to their union in Christ and allow that life to animate the ministry of Christ in them. That's what this church was about. The Thessalonians were about what it means to live out this life. And that's what we're about here at His Life. We want to be a people of God who have made participation and intimacy with Him our goal. We want to be a people of God who will bring forth the ministry of Christ as we yield to His life, to the people around us. Our goal is not our comfort. Our goal is not our peace. Our goal is not our prosperity. Our goal is simply Jesus. Just Jesus. This is the first, actually, of two letters that Paul wrote from Corinth to the church at Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was established near the site of an ancient city called Therma. And it was a popular city. And the reason it was called Therma was because they had the hot mineral springs there. So, you know, it was a great place to go, kind of a resort area, as it were. But this city was founded near that area, or very close to it, and it was actually established by a general by the name of Cassandra. Now, Cassandra came to this area, and back then this area was called Macedonia. It was Macedonia in the north and Achaia in the south. And this general came to this area, and he says, Wow, this is a great place to set up a city. And the reason it was a great place, well, number one, the springs were attractive. And number two, this city was on the Aegean Sea. It was right next to the Oxus River and had a wonderful harbor, a safe harbor for ships. And what's key was that it was situated right on the trade route from the Orient to the West. This made this city very strategic. And Cassander was a general for Alexander the Great. In fact, he was married to Alexander the Great's half-sister, whose name was Thessalonia. So you'll never guess in a million years how the city got its name. So Cassandra named the city Thessalonia, and it became a pretty prosperous city. And then the Romans came in, as they will do, and conquered the city. And when they conquered the city, they decided to make Thessalonica actually the capital of Macedonia. And this city became a trade center under Rome. It became a trade center. It became a harbor. It became a huge area of commerce. And the city was filled with sailors, it was filled with merchants, it was filled with soldiers, it was filled with all manner of individuals. And it was famous for a lot of things, but one of the number one things it was famous for was perversion. It was one of the most corrupt cities. It was so perverse, the crime was so rampant, it also became known as the city that built houses without windows in order to protect themselves. From the crime. Murder was a daily occurrence. Divorce was part of the culture. And the ancient form of abortion took place all the time, which was to take that child that you didn't want and set it out in the street and walk away. So there were orphans that ran up and down the streets. This was a perverse, corrupt, horrible place to live. Now, because there was so much commerce, the Jews moved in. So they had a huge, huge synagogue there. And that was the first place that Paul went when he got there. But I want you to see how Paul actually got there. If you will go to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Now, Thessalonica was not on Paul's itinerary. He had not planned to go. But I want you to see this. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And Paul and Silas passed through the territory of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word in the province of Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithonia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So passing Musia, they went down to Troas, and there a vision appeared to Paul in the night from a man from Macedonia, stood pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when they had seen the vision, we, including Luke, at once, endeavored to go to Macedonia, confidently inferring that God had called us to proclaim the glad tidings the gospel to them. Aren't you glad Paul was paying attention? He would have missed the will of God there, wouldn't he? No. Because here's the bottom line. This is the way it looked. This is Paul. Well, I'm going to go here. Spirit of God says no. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go here. Spirit of God says no. Okay. Well, then I'll go here. Vision. Go to Macedonia. Well, <laughs> that will be done. I'll go here. Paul didn't plan. You see, if you have a heart for the Lord, it was God's job to shepherd Paul. It wasn't Paul's job to figure out where to go next. In fact, if Paul got it wrong, how many times did he get it wrong? Three times. Well, let's see. We've got north, south, east, and west. How many times can you get it wrong? Three times. Three times. And Paul got it right the last time. But here's the thing with Paul. Paul had, had a plan, and he had a paradigm he operated under, and this is what it was. Thy will be done. Paul was literally shepherded into Thessalonica. Well, you ever watch a shepherd lead the sheep? Kind of does this with the staff, kind of moves them forth. That's exactly what God did with Paul. So Paul moves forward, and he goes into Thessalonia with the word. And I love that, I love that little thing that uh, he puts in there. And we, confidently inferring, we went, endeavored to go to Macedonia, confidently inferring that God had called us to proclaim the glad tidings of the gospel to them. Well, he, <laughs> I guess he could be confident about that, couldn't he? Paul didn't know where he was going, but here's the key about Paul. And this is the truth of you. You don't know where you're going. you got plans, don't you? I know know most of you. You have plans, but you don't know where you're going. You don't have a clue. You have plans, but you don't know, but you know who's leading, don't you? Can you be confident in that? You see, the place of rest is not in knowing where you're going. It's in knowing who's leading, isn't it? If the place of confidence was, was in your plans, how confident could you really be? The reality is that a life that is completely yielded to the Lord can walk forward without fear, knowing that God will move him forward. And here's the thing. We believe because the enemy will convince us that our choices are multiple choice, but there's only one right answer, and if we get it wrong, then we'll really screw it up. I've got three ways to screw it up, and I'll miss God, and it'll be terrible. No, that's not true. Now, was there ever a man who walked the earth apart from Jesus that was any closer to God than Paul? Well, I'm not sure that there was. But the bottom line is this. Paul had an intimate relationship with the Lord, but it wasn't based on what the Lord revealed to him. It was based on who he was in Christ. It wasn't based on Paul's knowledge. It was based on who he was in Christ. So here's the thing. Paul could be confident in the Father's love. He could be confident in the Father's direction. He could be confident that God would guide him. Now, here's the thing. He knows that the Lord is moving him to Thessalonica. Do you think that he's really worried about what he's going to do when he gets there? Is he? You see, here's the bottom line. The same God that called him, faithful He is he who called him, who will also do it. Paul could rest if this were my experience and I've done this in the past, I know what happened. God says go this way. I go this way, and the door's blocked. Well, Lord, how come the door is blocked? I've tried so hard, Lord. I don't understand. How did I miss you, Lord? Can't you just re- Can't you open the door, Lord? I'm going to pray and pray that you open the door, Lord. Please open the door. Well, does that sound familiar? Listen, Christians, it's not that complicated for us. When we recognize that we live in relationship, then we can know that if we miss one direction, God's going to move us to the right one. And a no is as good as a yes, because it says, yes, you're right, this isn't the right direction. (laughs) Go the other way. Trust in Him. Believe that He has a plan. So Paul comes to Thessalonica. Said, "Well, God's brought me here, so I'm sure I'm going to have a long ministry here. We're going to build a huge church. There are going to be thousands of conversions. This is we're going to we're going to have a we're going to have a radio ministry and a television ministry. We're going to, because God put us here. This is going to be huge, isn't it? Well, let's see. Paul comes to Thessalonica, and as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue, and he's there for three Sabbaths. For three Sabbaths, now this is the." part of the determination of Paul. He goes into the group of people who have rejected and persecuted him the most, and he doesn't just go there and quietly sit, he goes there and argues from the scriptures with him. Oh, what a guy. And much to the surprise of everybody, that didn't work out well. Well, let's look at that. We can read what happened in Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 4 through 10. And some of them, accordingly, were induced to believe, and associated themselves with Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the devout Greeks, and not, to, not a few of the leading women. But the unbelieving Jews were aroused to jealousy, and getting hold of some wicked men, ruffians and rascals and loungers in the marketplace, they gathered together a, a mob, set the town in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jesus, seeking to bring Paul and And Silas out to the people. But when they failed to find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, crying, "...these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also." I think there may be a little exaggeration in that. "...and then Jason has received them into his house and privately protected them, and they are all ignoring and acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar." actually asserting that there is another king, one Jesus. And both the crowd and the city authorities on hearing this were irritated, stirred, and troubled. And when they had taken a security bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. And now the brethren at once sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they entered the synagogue of the Jews." Now, here's what happened. Paul, once again, he's there for three Sabbaths. Now, that doesn't mean he was there for three weeks. It could mean that he was there for a Sabbath and two weeks more. We don't know. We think he was there for a couple of months, based on the fact that later in the book he talks about having set up his trade there. But the bottom line is, here he is coming into there under God's guidance. He goes to this synagogue and begins to preach. And as he's preaching, he gathers a few to himself. A few come to the Lord. A few come to him. And as they come, what happens is there's a formation of a body. Okay. So now you see how all this has come about. You see the history of the city and where these believers are actually located. You see how the planning went. There was no planning. God put it all together, didn't he? He brought Paul there. He put the message together. And he called the people to himself. So Paul moves on to Berea. And as he moves, he leaves a little church in its infancy. They have very little structure. There's no local denominational help. And it is made up of converted Jews who newly received the Lord and Gentiles, pagans, idol worshipers who newly received the Lord. There's no Bible. There's no formal training. There's very little spiritual maturity. And all they had is Jesus in a city that was full of all manner of perversion. Do you think Jesus is enough? Now Paul finds the Bereans of a more noble mind and they receive the word up until the time the rabble-rousers, the Jews from, from uh, Thessalonians, show up and they drive Paul all the way up to Corinth. And it is from Corinth that Paul writes these letters. And along the way, Paul is becoming very concerned because he's left these brand new baby believers out there. And he's very concerned about what, what condition they're in. So he sends Timothy back ...to Thessalonica... ...to find out what's going on... ...and Timothy comes back... ...with a report... ...and it is in response... ...to that report... ...that we have these letters... ...okay... ...so now you have the context... ...so let's go to... ...verse 1... ...chapter 1... ...in 1 Thessalonians... ...Paul... ...Silas... ...and Timothy... ...to the assembly... ...church... ...to the Thessalonians... ...in God... ...the Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, grace, blessing, spiritual blessing, and divine favor to you, and heart peace. Now the first word I want to draw your attention to in that verse is ecclesia, church. Now listen, This th- again, this is not a building, it's not a gathering of like-minded people. What this is talking about is an assembly of people who are called out. The word ecclesia actually means called out. That God literally called them out. And there's nothing random about Paul's choice of words. We use the word church pretty casually nowadays, and I think we lose some of the meaning of it. It speaks of the doctrine of election, actually. That's what it speaks of. That we don't choose ourselves. That we don't make the selection ourselves. You think and I'm going to take this a little further here in a minute, but you think you chose, those of you who are members here, you think you chose this church. But the bottom line is, if you were yielded to the Spirit of God, He chose this church. He chose this church for you. You see, what Paul is talking about here in this being called out, if you follow the context of the verse, he's speaking of, them being called out as an assembly. It speaks to the doctrine of election, which is a reoccurring emphasis in this letter because Paul has been affirmed in the work of God by the Thessalonians. And you know what that, why that is and how that is? Because you got to look at it from Paul's point of view. Paul didn't choose to go to Thessalonia. Paul didn't choose to minister there. And now Paul's got a report about Thessalonica. After he had to go there, he ministered, some people were saved, and he had to turn around and leave after a church had just got started. Now Paul wasn't even able to be there and disciple them. Paul wasn't there to grow them. Paul wasn't there to secure them or affirm them. He had very little time with them. And now he's pulled out. And he probably went to Berea thinking, well, I'll wait till things die down, and then God will let me come back, and then I can nurture them more and disciple them more. Well, God didn't have that in the plan. In fact, the Jews followed him to Berea and drove him further out. And each time he thought he could stop, he couldn't. Well, you know what? That wasn't the enemy. God allowed that. And you know who discipled the Thessalonians? You know who brought the Thessalonians along? You know who taught the Thessalonians? Jesus. Jesus. We're going to see that more and more as we go along. Paul says, You are a called church. You are called of God as a church. He is speaking about the body of Christ, but he is being specific. And Paul is addressing a specific body of believers. So he says, You are called of God as a church. You see, the gathering was not the work of men or the fruit of Paul's recruiting, but as we have seen, Paul was sent by God, not by men, not by the plan of Paul, but God literally shepherded Paul to the beginning of this church. And then Paul had the privilege of being the rallying point where God called his his elect. And that's basically what happened. These Thessalonians were called out. You see, their gathering was a calling of God, and what were they called out of? Well, I think Ephesians two verses one and following kind of sum that up. And he says, "And you he made alive, when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sin, in which at one time you walked habitually. and you were following the course of this course and fashion of this world. We're under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that is still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. And among these, we, as well as you, once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of their minds. Our cravings dictated our senses and our dark imaginations. We were by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of His indignation like the rest of mankind. Now you just recall what I said about that city. You recall what I said about how corrupt that city was. Well, what I just described for you was the heart of that city. What I just described for you was an assembly of darkness versus an assembly of light. They were called out of an assembly of darkness into the assembly of light. Now, here's the bottom line of it, guys. There are two places of worship. It's the world, and there's Christ. The world, there's Christ. There's no three places. And when we forsake Christ, we worship at the world. They were called out by God into His body as an assembly. They were called individually first as children of God, and then they were called to assemble together as one in worship, as a church. You see, the church is more than just that spiritual union that we will one day enter into the reality of. The church is the union of us in faith as believers gathering together, recognizing one source and one head, and allowing that one source and one head to gather together the very people who will perfectly match the ministry that He wants to create in your life.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do,